Hey there, podcast listener. In order to keep our show free to download, we have to remove the full versions of the songs that we listen to during the interviews. But if you want to hear this episode in its entirety, go to threesongstories.org or just download the WGCU app to your phone and find us there. This is Three Song Stories, the podcast that uses music to extract biography from our guests. We wield music's power to connect people to experiences and emotions from their past. We tap into the way songs bind us to our memories on an almost cellular level. I'm Mike Canary. Thanks for listening. My guest this episode is Lynn Milner. She's the author of The Allure of Immortality, an American Cult, a Florida Swamp, and a Renegade Prophet. It's a narrative nonfiction book about the corrections of a stero, and she's an associate professor of journalism at Florida Gulf Coast University. Hey there, Lynn. How you doing? Hey, I'm good. How are you? I'm great. So we're going to start with the background of your uh, childhood with music. What is the musical background of your childhood? My dad sang opera in community um, uh, opera, and also he acted in community theater all of the time. So I grew up in, um, in a theater that had been a church, and I sat in the pews and did my homework and prompted him with his lines as he sang uh, opera or Rodgers and Hart or Rodgers and Hammerstein or Irving Berlin or all of these kinds of musical greats, you know, Cole Porter. Um, and so I grew up kind of knowing music really well. And then he also sang in the church choir and I sang in choirs. And so music was a huge, huge part of my life growing up. What was being listened to around the house? Was it uh, uh, stuff that was on you know, vinyl or medium, or was it coming through the radio? It was coming through my dad's mouth in the form of warm-ups. So every morning I would hear, me, me, mama, moo, me, me, mama, moo. Me, me, mama, moo, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and aside from that, so there was that, and then there was also Aretha Franklin, Natural Woman, and there was um, America's Greatest Hits, <laughs> um, and uh, just everything in between. So whatever my dad happened to be rehearsing at the time, um, and then popular music thrown in. What was the first band that caught your attention? Um, the very first song I remember is... Um, Leroy Brown. <laughs> you know, I, I have a very early memory of that song as well. <laughs> Not knowing what the heck I was listening to, right. but remembering it. Right, right. So, and I don't even know what band that was. And then I also, you know, don't pull your love out on me, baby. I have a memory of being in a babysitter's broken down car on the interstate listening to that song, um, feeling like someone had pulled his love out on our, on the car, you know. Um <laughs> And then I guess um, Chicago, my brother listened to a lot of Chicago, Emerson, Lincoln, Palmer, um, lots of different things. Do you remember the first music that you owned yourself? Yes. George Benson's On Broadway 45. Wow. It was goobery. I mean, you know what I was thinking about getting ready for this podcast is we don't really choose, you know, I would love to have chosen, you know, these great songs that are really cool, right? And I, I know a lot of great songs that are really cool, but all of the songs that kind of influence your life, you don't usually get to choose those. And so you That's wind right. up with Don't Pull Your Love Out On Me, Baby, and, <laughs> you know, on Broadway. So 
there you have it. What was the first rock band that you, or, you know, sort of, you know, something more culturally mainstream? Was there something that you were like, oh, I love these guys. I have to own all their albums, all their tapes, whatever it was at the time. The Beatles. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Do you um, remember making mixtapes? Was that ever a thing? Did you yes. ever um, make a mixtape for someone in an attempt to get them to like you because they think your music was cool? Um, I had um, guys make me mixtapes. Okay, I, okay. I you were the I, recipient yeah, of mixtapes. I was the recipient of a lot of mixtapes, and I would spend a lot of time because I had a very poor self-image. I would spend a lot of time thinking – what are they trying to tell me through this song? Like it all means <laughs> Your interpretive something. brain was right. already spinning. And I'm like, Indiana wants me. <laughs> no, I can't go back there. What is that? What are they trying to tell me? You know? So, um, and it just turned out it was just their favorite songs, you know? Right. So, but I, I thought it meant something. Well, you know, maybe it did. And by the way, I thought that the lyrics for the longest time, I thought the lyrics to that song were in the animal's dream. No, I can't go back there. <laughs> There's a book. I used to work at a bookstore years ago, and there was a whole book of misremembered or misheard song lyrics. And I forget the one. There's a Jimi Hendrix one. Excuse me while I kiss this, this guy. This guy, yeah. yeah. Excuse me while I kiss this guy. Yeah, that's it. Thank you. <laughs> That's my favorite kind of humor, I think, is when you misunderstand someone. <laughs> uh, okay, we're going to get to your first song, which is Synchronicity One by The Police. Um, what is the story behind this? Why did this make it onto your list of three songs? Oh, gosh. Um, it really signals the beginning of a year of very bad decisions. Um, I was 19. Um I heard the song when I was in this house. If you sort of imagine being in a neighborhood sort of like San Carlos, which is a neighborhood close to here, it's kind of uneven. A lot of college students live there. So it was um, it was in Atlanta near Georgia Tech. It was a party. It was a, a guy's party that they were giving and hoping that a lot of women would show up, of course. And um, they were playing synchronicity on just loop, right? And I was in this house and everyone was, you know, there was a lot of drinking and just, you know, not – looking back, it was like not a good place for me to be, you know. But um, – and I see this guy and he's passed out on a bed and I just think he's the most attractive wow, person. Wow, cute even passed out. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the older me is looking at the younger me thinking, that is not – a good person to pick. You know, that doesn't bode well. If you're the first time you meet him, he's passed out. But I just thought he just was amazing. And my brother, he was a friend of my brother's, and my brother just rolled his eyes. My brother went to Georgia Tech. And so I would go to his, um, you know, parties that he had with his friends. And he's like, if you could have picked one guy that was the worst, it would have been this guy. We'll call him Steve because I dated six Steve's in my 20s and my family, regardless, they got to where they just called the guy Steve, whether or not that was his name. <laughs> and so what is the next step to that story? Did you wind up dating passed out guy? Oh, yes. Yes. Was synchronicity your song? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> just kind of stuck because it was like I say, it was on loop. And I remember right when I set my eyes on this this guy that would just become a disaster, um, synchronicity was, was playing. So um, these three songs are about 
our relationship. So you'll meet him through uh, this song and then through the next two songs. All right. Well, this is uh, Lynn Milner's first song on today's episode of Three Song Stories. It's Synchronicity by the Police in honor of Steve. That was Synchronicity by the Police. It's Lynn Milner's first song on Three Song Stories. Uh, So uh, that's Steve's intro song. So pick it up from there. All right. So we began dating. Um. (laughs) How did you meet once he woke up? (laughs) I, you know, I don't remember. Um, There's so much that's fuzzy uh, in this story. So these, these bigger stories stand out and I think you'll you'll see why. Okay, so go ahead. we did meet, we began dating. Um, I was living over near Georgia Tech and, and eventually we decided to move in together. It, it all happened very quickly. Um, and before we moved in together, I kind of became aware that he was, um, he had a drug problem. I, you know, in retrospect, I probably could have figured that out earlier, but um, he actually uh, had a friend who was a Coke dealer. And um, so that was happening, um, you know, while we were dating, and I, I kind of didn't realize quite the level of it. So we moved in together. We moved into the basement of apartment of his mentor. Uh, Steve was a an illustrator for um, he he drew space plans for architects, and he was very well paid. Um, so this he's not a college student. This wasn't no, like a he college was, party. This was. <clears throat> no, the party that I was at was a college party. He was um, he was kind of on the ten year plan. <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Um, and um, he he must have graduated from tech at some point. Maybe he never did. I don't. I, know. I know a couple people who went to tech, and this all sounds very familiar. Just as yeah, far as the ethos, it's, <laughs> it's pretty common that it's a very difficult degree to to get the engineering degree, mm-hmm. and then they you know they do party a lot. So, uh, but he was extremely successful. Whether or not he graduated, I, I just can't remember. He might have gone back and graduated later. Um, So we began uh, dating and then uh, we moved in together into this tiny basement apartment. Um, It had a sort of a kitchen and a bathroom, but mainly it was just a a bedroom. You just walked in and it was a, I don't know what it had been, a garage, a garage, of course. Um, And upstairs lived uh, his mentor, this guy we'll call Mike. Um, And I... They would sit upstairs a lot, and I would be – I worked. I had dropped out of college just for a, a semester just to kind of um, regroup. Um, and they would sit upstairs a lot late, late, late at night. And I remember thinking, it's kind of odd, but maybe they're night owls, right? Um, and then I would hear you know, the sound that you hear when people are doing lines of coke. And so – it was really disturbing, and I saw this addiction going on. And um, they played um, Prince's was at the time Prince had a new album, um, and it had the song "Kiss" on it. I think it was Parade. Is that the name of the album? I don't think so. I don't remember. Richard's going to check. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> but go ahead and but, continue. You know, 
it was such an odd sound that once you hear the sound, the song Kiss, you don't forget it because it was just this kind of yowling that uh-huh. he did. You know, I can't even imitate it. You know, he just does this kind of weird yowling, and I'd never heard anything like it before. And so that was coming from upstairs, uh, and they would play it. They just played the album on loop. Um, that and Marvin Gaye. They also played Marvin Gaye. Um, and so I would be downstairs trying to sleep because I had a job to get to that next morning, and they would be playing that. And then I, I remember that was part. That song was kind of part of my becoming aware that I was just in a in a bad situation, and that some of the money I was making from that job was going to his drug habit. And so his mentor, uh, at one point after a while, accused him of stealing um, drugs. And I don't know whether or not it was true. I wouldn't have a reason to doubt it. But we had to move out. I mean, uh, Steve came to me at one point one afternoon and said, we have to move out. (laughs) I said, what are you... What are you talking about? Because we need to move out. And I said, "Okay, well, have you given him notice? You know, no, we have to move now." So we packed all of our stuff into his brown Datsun, which was just a two-door like sports car, right? Um, and we we left. I don't even remember where we went, but um, he panicked, and this mentor guy never found us. And um, so that so the Prince song it just kind of goes with that memory of of hearing them upstairs late at night, kind of realizing what was going on and then feeling like I was too enmeshed with this guy to, you know, I was 19. So it didn't didn't seem doable to break away at that point. And so I was at this point where I just got in the Datsun with all of our stuff and we we drove off. Hmm. This is Prince's Kiss off the album Parade. Richard looked it up. You're listening to Three Song Stories here on WGCU. That was Kissed by Prince. It's my guest today, Lynn Milner's second song choice here on Three Song Stories. So you're driving around in a Datsun listening to Prince. <laughs> I wasn't listening to Prince. That was what we listened to. I know. At, I was imagining it, though. Says, it was yeah, fun okay. to li- imagine. Um, it, but before we get to the story, was Prince uh, something or someone you were a fan of? No. Well, I am now. You know, um, I recognize that he was immensely talented. But right then, it was just an alarming sort of new sound coming from that upstairs house, you know? And it's very visceral. It is. Uh, I mean, a lot of what he does is, but that song in particular. Yeah, and I had just never heard, I had never heard that. And it was just like, coming from upstairs, it was almost like not like a song. The whole, all the lyrics and the melodic part of it didn't really make much of an impression, but it was just the like, ha, 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 you know, and I, I thought, what is going on? I don't even know what's happening. <laughs> yeah. 
So, so pick up the story then. Okay. So here I was, a college dropout with all my possessions in a Datsun dependent on this guy. And you mentioned you were, you were 19 at the time? 19. <laughs> Folks pretty proud of this moment? I, you were know, they aware of what was going on? Um, they weren't. And, you know, a lot of the, you know, they would send me, I think they sent me $500 a month or something because I was still, they knew I was out of school because they weren't paying the hellacious tuition anymore. Um, but they were sending me a little bit, maybe $500 a month to uh, to help me get by. I was also working in a law firm at the time. And it was going, you know, not for groceries or tuition or books, you know. And so I was out of school. I, I this This whole life episode helps me relate to the kids I teach now. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like I know what it's like to be 19 and – not in a good situation <laughs> and making bad decisions, you know. Um, and sometimes I think we forget that as professors, that these kids are dealing with way worse things than we dealt right. with. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I dropped out of college. Um, I was – I don't remember where we went in that Datsun, but um, the story picks back up in a VW van because Steve decided he wanted a VW van. He'd always wanted something to kind of work on, and it was cool, you know. And for someone who doesn't have a sense of, of history, this was the 80s. The van was already quite old. Right. You know? This is one of the original yes, vans. Yes, of yeah. course. We hadn't gotten to van again quite yet. No. <laughs> it was an actual VW van with a with that motor that sounded like a kind of giant bumble, <laughs> like a, yeah. like a bumble, like yeah. a bumblebee, oh, you know. Yeah. So um, – I had decided I had this kind of fantasy that I wanted to go I wanted to go back to school and I wanted to go to UNC Chapel Hill. And it was just because it was a beautiful area. Where were you going to school at the time? You weren't going to tech, were you? Well, you don't strike me as a – but before you dropped out yeah. in Georgia, what was your school well, in first, Georgia? First I went to Emory, which was horribly expensive. And um, so I, part of the reason I dropped out was because of all this stuff with Steve, but also – um, because it was so expensive and I didn't – I felt like I was wasting money, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, not that Emory is a waste of money. It's a great school. You just weren't put your head wasn't in it. My head wasn't in it and here I was not making very good grades, which is why I say that Chapel Hill was kind of a fantasy because it is very hard to get into Chapel Hill as a transfer student, much less a student who's not currently in school who, when she was in school, was not making great grades. So this was not something that was – I don't think was in the cards for me. So um, – but anyway, Steve was happy to have the chance to take a road trip, right, <laughs> in his new van. Sure. So uh, – and I think in the back of my mind, I was also thinking this was a chance to leave and start fresh, you know, because he wouldn't have gone with me. He right. he had a, a – his own kind of – I don't – I don't know. <laughs> I, I was hoping he wouldn't go with me, but, right? But you remember being conscious of the fact that this was a potential next step or a break from. Yeah. So – and I was kind of hoping that it it was, you know, it was going to be a break from that and I was going to start fresh and new. And I just thought Chapel Hill was just like heaven, you know. I mean it was just such a pretty place and such a good school. And um, so I really wanted to get in. So um, – a good family friend, knowing that it was a long shot, um, a really, really good family friend who actually had gone to high school with my dad and later dated my mom. Uh, but at the time, he had just gone to high school with my dad. Yeah, it's, you have to wrap your head around that. Yeah, one. yeah, I'm doing the math. Go ahead. 
<laughs> um, he wrote a letter. He had a friend at Chapel Hill, um, and he wrote a letter to one of the deans, and it was just an amazing letter. And it was about my how I had grown up with music in the house and how, you know, I, I had done a great job in high school and kind of focusing on my strengths, you know. Um, and he arranged for me to get an in-person interview with this this dean, which doesn't happen, right? right? So I remember packing um, – I remember – packing a specific outfit because I wanted to make a really good impression. And I remember it was a khaki skirt, kind of a long, blow-the-knee khaki skirt that had a special pleat in the back that I ironed meticulously so that it was really crisp, right? And I folded it up until we got to the interview, right? And I was going to put it on so I didn't have those creases that you get from sitting in a van for, you know, 16 hours or whatever. Um, and I had a rag, a shirt made out of rags that I was very proud of. <laughs> So you're down to earth. <laughs> I guess so. I don't know. My grandmother had made it. It was, you know, in retrospect, it was probably kind of unraveling. But but anyway, so I had this shirt that I really loved made out of rags. And um, so I was going to wear that and my khaki skirt, right, and some simple shoes. And so I was going to look really professional and go meet with this dean. So we get in the van and we take a trip and it's like a vacation and um, we have Heartbeat City on on loop. And here I am. I'm going to meet with this dean in my perfect outfit in hopes of getting into Chapel Hill. Okay. So we're going to listen to this song. It's by the cars. It's Heartbeat City. And then we'll pick up the story after we hear it. So this is uh, Heartbeat City by the cars. It's Lynn Milner's third song on Three Song Stories. Okay, now, so that time, it was okay to imagine you driving around in a Volkswagen van listening to that song, right? Yeah, that's what we were doing. And it was, gosh, it was a gorgeous, gorgeous weekend. I mean, it was October. The leaves were changing. The You know, North Carolina, when the leaves are changing, I mean, it's just unbelievably beautiful. And um, the temperature was perfect. It was sunny. It was just we felt like we were on a holiday, you know, as mm-hmm. we were listening to that. And the um, I forgot to mention that, of course, because this was an engineer who owned this van, the sound system was excellent. So when you hear that part of the song that goes from the, the right to the left, I think, when it goes do-do-do-do. Into your left ear. Yeah, yeah, it was right there in it the middle right of your head. It was right there. So, so I think I mentioned that this whole series of songs was about a period in my life when I was making bad decisions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Steve had weed, and and I smoked, and that was a bad decision. You know, I mean, I was really. It didn't take much. I was just really high, and here I was ready for this interview that was going to change things, right? And that was just a terrible decision. But So it was, that decision was made right as a prelude to this interview. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So I show up for the interview and I'm just out of it. 
And I'm sure this dean can tell, you know, I even I walk into the the hall where this I'm going to have this meeting with this dean and I'm just so it was like an out of body experience and I sit down, "Hi, how are you? Thank you for meeting with me." And I think I'm doing a great job, right? Um, you think, well, I can do this. I can keep a straight face and I can answer all of her questions. But I became aware of like this. When she talked, it sounded like Charlie Brown teacher voice. <laughs> you know, it was just right, kind of that and underwater. And I was aware she was asking me questions. And I was aware that I was messing up. And then I was aware that I was messing up bad. And then I was disappointing this family friend and my parents and it was just I felt like this was never in the cards for me anyway and and I've just gone and made sure of that you know um so it was just again it was a really bad decision and we got so where did you wind up going to school besides <laughs> UNC well it went to a perfectly fine school it wasn't it wasn't UNC Chapel Hill it wasn't my dream and I got back into school and things worked out for me you know um, it's it's interesting that that first song was by the police because there were some times when, you know, the police probably should have intervened. <laughs> um, but I went to Georgia State and I I kept working at the law firm and, you know, I – Is turned... Georgia State in Athens? No, it's in Atlanta. Oh, it's in You're Atlanta. You're thinking of oh, University okay. of Georgia. Gotcha, yeah. gotcha. So I kind of, you know, it got – things worked out and I finally – got away from Steve. How did that turn out? Um, well, it would take another trip and several other things to uh, to kind of disengage from that. But I finally did make the break from him and, that, you know, my life was, was definitely better after that. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. In picking your three songs today, um, you've done something that the other guests that we've had on so far hasn't, and that is you've created a narrative arc with your songs. Do you think that is... Um, indicative of your nature as a storyteller? Or is that just what your first instinct was to pick these songs? It was not my first instinct. Um, but I started thinking about, you know, I read your email very carefully about what you were looking for. And I wanted to pick a part of my life where um, that was that had been interesting. You know, I'm a journalist, so I am used to telling other people's stories. And um, I don't think of myself as very interesting. So I thought, what is the most interesting part of my life? And I thought, the Steve part of my life, you know, um, this whole story of, of uh, getting in this relationship, being in a bad relationship, and then, and then trying to get out of it, but becoming more sort of caught up in it, and then finally making the break. So that's how I chose that. And then I thought it would also be an interesting structure, yeah, because I'm into plot and structure. So as you travel through life, if these, if any of these three songs come on, uh, do you, do, do you think of Steve? Oh yeah, I think of that trip to North Carolina, um, um, and it's in, you know the reason I thought of these the songs was because of Heartbeat City. When you when you asked me to come on the podcast, the very first song I thought of was Heartbeat City because my husband, not knowing any of this, just happened to have Heartbeat City. Uh, the CD, and he happened to be playing it on loop in his car. So every time I got in his car, I would listen to it. And this was just the week before you you emailed me. And I turned to him at one point and I said, you know, <laughs> this is from a very interesting time in my life that I've never told you about. <laughs> <laughs> so, so did you flesh out uh, this, this storyline with him prior to coming in here today? Or no, will he hear it for the first time in be, this when it releases to the world? Yeah, he'll be hearing it for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, any final thoughts? 
Um, I don't think so. I mean, uh, yeah, whenever I hear Heartbeat City, I just think of rolling down the road away from that interview. Um, it's still a beautiful day, you know. What um, color is that van? Uh, it's like a dirty white. Dirty white because it didn't get washed or dirty white because it's... Because it was old. <laughs> All right. Well, I want to thank my guest, Lynn Milner. She's the author of The Allure of Immortality, An American Cult, A Florida Swamp, and A Renegade Prophet. It's a narrative nonfiction book about the corrections of Astero. And she's an associate professor of journalism here at FGCU. Thank you, Lynn, very much. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Three Song Stories is created in the studios of WGCU Public Radio on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers. The show is produced, directed, and co-created by Richard Chin Kui. Our online content producers are Tara Calligan and Anna Bejarano. Our executive producer is Chris Duffus. Our theme music was created by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. For my parting tune this week, I'm going to stick with The Police, which happened to be the very first band that I really connected with back in the 1980s. I owned all of their albums on cassette tapes, and I listened to them pretty much on repeat. Little did I know that once I got to high school, that would work out in my favor my junior year in my English class, because our teacher, Jane Renfro, who was much beloved but also sort of feared, assigned us to interpret a song. Well, I happened to have picked up on the fact that she was a huge fan of The Police, so I wrote my interpretation essay on this song off their third album called Zenyata Mandata, which they released in 1980. I'm Mike Canary. Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories. I had a boyfriend, like one of my first boyfriends, who was just an absolute trash pile. Um, And he loved Tool and would put it on a lot of times when we were going to be romantic. And Tool is not a romantic band.